team. Welcome back. Welcome back to Financial Feminist. I am Tori Dunlap, money speaker and educator, founder of Her First 100K, and that girl who has no original thoughts because they're all John Mulaney quotes. Today's guest, oh gosh, guys, I'm so excited for this. Today's guest is Tiffany Aliche, aka The Budgetista. She'll introduce herself way better than I can, but I knew she had to be a guest on the show when we were launching the podcast. I mean, she has a fucking law named after her, focusing on financial literacy for kids in Jersey. This is something we'll discuss when we get into the episode, but I mean, how dope is that? We talk about the racial wealth gap, how her work as a teacher led her to educating others about money. And that one time she lost $30,000 on an investing scam. Y'all know I love grifters, but this is one of those stories that you need to hear in order for you to not fall victim as well. This episode is going to make you laugh and cry. I cry yet again in this episode. You're going to realize that I cry in almost every episode of the season. The conversations are just that good. She's been one of those people, one of those women in the personal finance space that I've looked up to for years. And I absolutely loved our conversation. So as always, if you love the show, rate and review, subscribe, tell your friends. We appreciate your support of our mission and this movement that we're building here at Her First 100K, here at the Financial Feminist Podcast. So enough of me. Let's dive in. Let's do this. It's so good to see you. It's so good to finally meet. I realize we haven't actually met. I know. I was thinking that. I was like, how have I not met Tori? You know what? The social media streets, it's just, you feel so familiar because you're like, oh, hey, yeah, oh, congrats. And then you're like, wait. I've never met her. We haven't even spoken, so this is awesome. I know. You look great in yellow, by the way. That is your color. (laughs) You look fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. I have like so many with my book dropping. I have so many interviews. I was like, I have to like, yeah, I'm not usually like a makeup girl, but I had, I had to learn quickly in in quarantine. (laughs) I'm not, we're not using the video other than promotional purposes, but you'll see, you know, if somebody follows either of us on Instagram, you'll see that she's beautifully made up and I am in a sweatshirt (laughs) and no makeup because that's my life now. (laughs) And Loki, this is a sweatshirt straight from Target. I think it's actually a pajama top, but it looks so cute. Yes. Yes, from it Target. Does. Yes, I know you would never know. And I'm almost positive mm. it's a pajama top, but it doesn't look like it. <laughs> That's very smart. I will often do business top, party on the bottom. Yeah. So I'll mm-hmm. do leggings or sweats on the bottom. And then I'll just put a sweater on, which mm-hmm. is like professional enough, but it's still comfortable. Yes, yes I do too. Yeah. Like literally I'm wearing like my husband's sweatpants at the bottom. And every once in a while, like if I'm, <laughs> if I'm recording like something like, you know, the news or whatever. And I, they're like, oh, can you adjust right. the window in the back? I'm like, you're going to see my bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> just temporarily. Yes. Just going to see what's going on down below. That's so funny. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. I don't have to tell you that I admire you and your work so much, a shit ton. And I am so honored just to have you on the show and to be able to chat with you. Um, tell us who you are and tell us about your kind of financial journey because it's very unique, I think, amongst us financial experts. You kind of had a windy, nonlinear path. So talk to me mm-hmm. about that. Well, I am Tiffany Aluche, but much better known as the Budgetista financial educator. Um, and I I didn't think I was going to become, I think like most of us didn't think we were going to become like financial educators. Nope. Um, I, but I just, I didn't know I was going to be an educator. So before I was started the Budgetista, I actually was a teacher 
And I got my master's in education and I thought maybe I'd be a principal. The finance stuff really just was stuff I learned at home. My father was a CFO and an accountant. And so um, normally, because I'm my um, I'm born and raised here in America, but my parents were bra- raised in uh, Nigeria. It's very like it's very male dominated culture. So normally right. if we would have had a brother, it would have been I teach the brother all the financial man things and then brother will take care of sisters. <laughs> But after one girl, two girls, three girls, five girls, my mom was like, there's no more babies coming. <laughs> We're not having any more kids. I'm one so of five girls. it sounds girls. like you need to teach all of our daughters <laughs> yes, how to which, money. Right? Isn't that so awesome, though? I think about that all the time that I promise you, if I would have had just one brother, I wouldn't have known anything. And so oh, my dad wow. was like... Well, I'm, then just come on, come on down. And so he taught us like it wasn't it was intentional. Literally Thursday nights, we would have our our like our family meetings. We would play like board games and things like that. But yeah. we would also be like, this is how you budget. This is how you save. You got your first job. You would bring your paycheck to my dad and he would show you like how to separate your money and what things that, you know, what what did you buy and what category would that go in? When I went off to college and tried to understand credit cards, my dad helped me navigate through. It was, you know, it was like the best thing ever. And then I also learned how to mow the lawn. Like literally, I was like, I don't want to lie. He's like, yeah, I got to lie. I learned how to change my own oil. Because he was yeah. like, you have to know all the things. And he's since come around um, and realized that like, you know, I'm glad that I had all girls. And I'm glad that, you know, I realized like the the value and the benefit and you know, kind of like the the culture that I grew up in, I, I understand why it was so, but he said, it doesn't make sense. Like women have to learn how to take care of themselves right. as well. And I remember him telling me like, um, I'm glad you guys are so well prepared because I want that if you decide to ever get married, it's a choice rather than you feeling like you must mm. for someone to take care mm-hmm. of you. So that was like the best. Um, That's amazing. And so, yeah, it's just, so that's what I grew up with. And it was just something that I shared with my friends all the time, especially when I went to college. Like my college roommate had um, debt collectors calling the dorm room. And I never even heard of that before. We thought it was hilarious because, you know, you're like 17, 18. We're like, ooh, perfect time for prank calls. We'd pick up with different voices or like... (laughs) Would you like to order a pizza? (laughs) (laughs) Like, nobody live here. Like, (laughs) ha! I went home to tell my dad, like, oh, my God, let me tell you what happened this weekend. That collector's calling the room. And he's like, Tiffany, that's like serious. I'm like, is it? And he was yeah. like, this is what you tell her. So that was the first time that I took what mm-hmm. I learned and shared it with someone. And I was like, OK. So I was like counseling her directly. Like my dad said, you should do this. My dad said, and then it became like the things that I learned, like that I just retained and knew, like, no, girl, you should do that. And then um, what happened is like, it, you know how news spreads, like, especially on college campus, like sometimes it's right. like, ooh, she's really great at relationship advice. Like, oh my gosh, she's really good. Like if you need someone to read over your paper, you know, and like check for grammar, I became, you have a money issue, go see Tiffany. It's Tiffany, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, it, but, and I loved it. So what it did was it made me take more classes and learn more because people had questions that I didn't have answers to. I was like, credit, never thought about it. Let me learn more. And then I was already in school. So I, at first my, my, my initial major was finance. So I took all my finance classes and realized like it seemed like a pretty boring, um, afterlife after college. So I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, but I had taken all those classes. And, yeah. um, and then once I graduated, like for me in particular, I just remember thinking 
Like, how do you want to live life, Tiffany? I was really, I'm still big on that now that, you know, money is cool and everything, but how do you actually want to live your life? You had some internships in corporate America and you felt like dying on the inside. Is that what we want to do? For the money right. to die on the inside right. every day. I'm so dramatic. I was like, do you want to no. die on the inside? That's how I felt too. But it's really funny you bring that up because I had a very similar financial mm-hmm. education where it was like, my parents taught me how to money, mm-hmm. you know, don't ever spend on credit cards, budget, learn how to negotiate. I saw my dad negotiate our cable bill on the phone like once <laughs> every other month. You know, my mom would balance a checkbook. And I thought that was normal. And yes. the same thing, I got to college and I was like, oh, no one, this is not normal and especially not normal for women. And I was the friend all of my friends were coming to for advice and guidance. It was like, yeah. So we have very similar stories, which I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. So it was very much like the realization that, oh, you know, this is not normal and it's not normal for most women. If you would have had a brother, he would have been educated and you wouldn't have. And Mm We both hear these stories all the time of, mm-hmm. yeah, my my husband manages the finances and I don't, or yeah, my, my dad taught my brother, but he didn't teach me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so important that we talk about money as women. No, absolutely. Because too, it gives you freedom and you get to choose yes. how you want to navigate, you know, and what it did too was it wasn't just freedom of choosing like a mate, but it was really like, once I graduated college, I remember thinking like, Okay, so you had this internships in corporate. You hated it. Now what? You know, so like I felt pretty solid and I can choose something where I'm going to make less and be okay. Like that's huge to be able to say, do I choose a job? I think like the corporate job, it was like I was working. So ShopRite is like the big supermarket chain here Mm, in mm -hmm. the East Coast. And um, and so um, Wakefern is their parent company. And I was working in corporate Wakefern. Fun. And, <laughs> and they offered me like- thrilling. I know it was not. <laughs> and so they offered me a position. Um, it was going to start at $50,000 a year, which, you know, 20, 21. You've never seen that amount of money. What? Yeah, I was same like, thing with me. I was like 50. <laughs> I, my first job out of school was 55. And I was like- that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yes. That's more money than I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. And like, it's not like you have a ton of bills, but then I remember right. the thing I really enjoyed was I really loved teaching. Like mm-hmm. I used to like, in the summertime, a friend of mine um, um, worked as a teacher and I would go to her classroom, sometimes help out and read to the kids. And I taught Sunday school and I just really loved teaching, but I was afraid to say, I want to be a teacher because I know it doesn't pay as much. And right. You know, I, I secretly found a teaching job and it paid 39000 And the the part I was worried about was more so disappointing my parents and not taking a more quote unquote prestigious job. I wasn't worried about the finances because I knew how to manage on the thirty nine. And so knowing about money and understanding money allows you to make choices that are in, in your best interest, not just like who you're going to be with, but like what you do with your life. And so yes. I chose to teach. And when I tell you, Tori, I loved, I loved, I loved it because I, I taught preschool. I don't think there's anything cuter than a three and four year old. Oh, you know? no. They're the cutest. <laughs> they are the cutest. And they just line up and they're like, hi, you want to play in the sandbox and <laughs> yes. be best friends? And yes. they're like, yes. Like that's how you make yes. friends when you're four. It's just I like, know. would you like to be my friend? <laughs> yes, I would. I wish because we would just, do that now. <laughs> they're just learning because they have just enough language to express themselves and be hilarious without knowing it. And, but just knowing not enough that, you know, they they haven't picked up on like all the bad habits that we have as adults. So they're just like delightful. And I loved it. Like literally my friends would call me and I'd be like, Ooh, girl, I gotta go. I'm I'm next on the swings. 
They're like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> my friends who worked in corporate. <laughs> and so they're I like remember- on their lunch and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking care of human beings. No <laughs> exactly. big deal. And so, like I said, I didn't, in comparison to my friends who went to law school or who were lawyers or, or worked in corporate, I was making, you know, a good chunk less. But what I noticed yeah. was I had more saved. You know, I didn't have mm-hmm. credit card debt. Um, and I was in a better financial situation than my friends. So they started to lean on me again and said, how? Because you make less than us and you seem to be doing better financially. And then when I found, because I worked in a school, um, I worked in a, a, in a place in town that was like, there were just people who were really struggling financially. So parents sometimes would ask to borrow money and I'd be like, well, I can't do that. But during that time, when the kids go to sleep, you can come in and I can help you with your budget. I can help you show how to show you how to save. I remember because my dad taught me when I was a teenager how to do my own taxes. And I remember like, especially in this neighborhood, like people were spending hundreds of dollars on going to like the local tax, you know, like H&R Block or whatever. Right. And like, I was like, I had bought um, TurboTax for my computer. And I remember one day I'm doing my tax on my computer and my fellow teachers were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing my taxes. They're like, wait, you know how to do taxes? I'm like, well, TurboTax just basically just walk through. They're like, can you do mine? I'm like, no, because the teacher in me is always like, I can show you sit next to me yeah. because I wanted to be able to empower you to do it. TurboTax right. cost me like 80 bucks. I think it was like my sister. Then I used to split, you know, like how, like, you know, 20 from you, 20 from you. And we would use it. Yeah. So then the teacher well, teach you how to fish, right. Instead exactly. of having them, and so, them like, fish, let me teach you how to fish. Yeah. And I didn't think like that. Okay. This is the start of the budget Nista. So, but I enjoyed it so much that the parents would come during nap time. The teachers would come, the, 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 the handymen would come and like, who were like helping to clean up <laughs> and like literally. And so I remember thinking, Hmm, Cause I really do believe that the purpose of life is to live a life of service. So I remember thinking, yeah. um, I like this, like, um, I want to do more of this, like for volunteer work. And so that's how, and originally when I started the budgetista, it was going to be a nonprofit. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, you know, so I'd ask my baby sister, what should I call myself? Cause I was going to like, um, uh, donate my time to like boys and girls clubs and YMCAs and schools and things. And Lisa at the time was, I think she was in college or high school. And she was like, um, you know, like the fashionista and how well she dresses. I was like, yeah. She's like, that's not you. Um, cause you know, baby <laughs> sisters, <laughs> baby sisters were born to be shady. <laughs> honest. Yes. I was like, what? She was like, mm, you're pretty cheap. I would call you the budget nista. And I was like, I actually like that name. You shady, shady McBaby. <laughs> you know, I know, the branding expertise. <laughs> My goodness. And so, and so I, um, the budget needs to well. So it was originally the name that I was just going to use when I went into school system. So it wouldn't seem so scary for the kids to hear about money. Um, so that was right. in 2008 and then 2009, my, uh, the, the, you know, the recession hit in 2008, but it did not affect me. And I wasn't worried because I thought teachers didn't make, didn't lose their jobs. The 2009, yeah. I was wrong because we were nonprofit based. So, mm. um, I lost my job three days before the new school year. Um, Ooh, and it was devastating. Oh gosh. Yeah. So if you're a teacher, you know that usually you save your money for the summer. And by the end of the summer, you're like depleted your savings because you lived off your savings from not working. So some right. school systems will pay you through the school year and some will only pay you for 10 months. And they say, save your money and, and you have to live off that. Or maybe you work during the summer to make extra money. So I always saved a chunk to live off it the, during the summer. So I didn't have to work. And so I was depleted, basically, my savings. Like, like oh, that's okay. You know, we're about to start school. And we got the call. And they were like, you know, we weren't able to get our funding from our corporate sponsors. Oh, so school is man. closed indefinitely. And I remember being like, because there were, um, 
a series of misfortune events that happened prior to that in that like I was a victim of credit card of a credit card scam that left me $35,000 in debt. So I was oh, telling me about that. Yes. How did so, that happen? How do you, how do you recommend people avoid that? Uh, like listen to that voice that's screaming inside you. Don't do it. But yes. I know, I know. So I trust wrote your about gut. it. And, trust your gut. Always, always, always. Uh, yeah. So like, it, like I wrote about it actually in my new book, Get Good With Money. So I call this guy, Jake the Thief. Right. And so Jake, not his real name. Um, I had met him on like spring break, like, I don't know, maybe when I was like 22 or whatever, but we became friends. And I just remember like, we, we probably by friends by the time we, we, the, the scam happened five years. So he wasn't like a new person, you know, we talk like all the time and he, when you're young, because something looks like money, you think that people actually have money. I'm old enough now to know like right. anybody can pretend, but he had like, uh, like a really nice apartment, penthouse apartment, one of these like really like fancy cars. He always had like some like amazing watch on, you know, I, I thought Jake was wealthy. And I remember asking Jake, like, Jake, how do you make your money? Cause I want to learn how to invest. And he was like, Oh, you know, I, cause he told me like, Oh, I invest and that's how I make money. I'm like, perfect. Instead of asking my seasoned father, who could have like, you know, I was like, why ask my father? Let me ask Jake the thief. And so Jake was Your like- Your dad no. is index funds in this perspective. And <laughs> exactly. Jake is like, you know- the, Yes, uh, like like the hot stock tip. He's GameStop. Right? GameStop, That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because honestly, my dad, that, you're exactly right, Tori. My dad was like slow and steady. That was his favorite yep. phrase is slow and steady wins the race. And yep. I was like, mm, not interested in that. I want to get rich fast. And, um, but honestly, cause here's really what I wanted to do. My dad and mom worked so hard. They immigrated here from Nigeria that secretly I wanted to retire them. So I wanted to learn how to invest so I can make a lot of money. So I could say, cause my mom was a nurse and it's hard on the body being a nurse. And, and I just wanted them not to have to work anymore. So Jake told me, you know, he, he gave me a bunch of options. I can't, I can't remember like what specifically they were, but the option that I chose to invest, he said, well, he's originally from Paris, France. And he has a number of stores there and they, they like, um, um, they love like Levi's and Converse and, you know, like how we like French perfume and it's more money here, but you get it in France, it's cheaper. So these American goods, authentic American goods, um, can be sold for more in his stores. And it was, if I invested, how much did you say? It was, um, $20,000 that we would buy $20,000 worth of goods and then he would sell it <laughs> and it would yield me, dun, 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 a week for two years. I don't even know how the math worked out, but it sounded like good to me. I was like, bet. So I never even had, I had one little, little tiny credit card with like a $500 limit that my dad told me to get when I was in college that I paid off every month in full. You do the math, I'm literally right? doing the math. How much is that? 2,000. So what is that? 2,000 times 2,000 times 52 times two. How much is That's that? That's 208 bucks. Off of a... So you're investing, a, you invested like 10%, right? Yes. So that's, because you know, so me, I was like, well, clearly Jake can't be lying. He's my the friend. The math works. Yeah. Right? I know him for five whole years and look at his watch. I mean, he's great. Kind of- and the math works. The math works great. I love and, this math. Right. And honestly, in the back of my head, there was like a, hmm, seems like a lot. No. Too good to be true. Yes. Seems but I was too like, good to be true. He's my friend. He wouldn't do that. I've known him for too long. And then right. I could have at least like run it by my father and say, hey, daddy, um, here's a proposition that a friend of mine made. You know, what do you yeah. think? He'd have been like, girl. It's a yeah. lie. These numbers don't even make sense. Nobody invests, not to say it's impossible, but it's very unlikely to invest $20,000 and get back 200000 plus. Well, and the risk you have to take on too, yes. right? And that's that's what I tell all these people with the GameStop and all of that shit is mm-hmm. like, 
okay, you may have won big, but how much did you have to risk in order yes. to do that? Or how much did you lose in order to get that amount of money? Exactly. So, so is Jake doing this on purpose? Like, Well, I think that he was doing this to multiple people. That's how he had all the stuff. Now that I like, I could step back. So he wasn't like an innocent person where he was like, oh, oh no, 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 recruit no. you. Like, he was a thief. Okay, so he knew. Yeah, Got so it. he right. said, Tiffany, I said, well, I don't have $20,000 because I didn't. I was like, you know, and I like not saved up. And he said, that's okay. You can open up additional credit cards. Tori, <laughs> you can open up additional credit cards and do what's called a cash advance, which you might as well just jump out the window. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh, sounds good to me. And right. this is what, I mean, you literally will get like, it's like warning, warning, warning. And when I tell you, I ignored yeah. I remember in particular, I went to a bank that was one of my credit cards. And I went and I said, hey, I, I think this bank, I was taking out $10,000 from that particular because I had to open up multiple cards to get the full 20. Literally, Oof. the bank people kept me there for an hour. They were like, are you okay? Are you being threatened? You think, Tori, I would have been like, why would they ask that? I was like, no. Because really? I look so young to be taking out $10,000 with a right. card that I just opened up. They were and running you're also every- young and you don't, you don't know any better. Yes. You don't know. Like, banks usually don't ask this question yes. to me. So oh, I was like, no, I'm fine. And they were just like, are you sure? Is someone forcing you to do this? I was like, no. no. You, I mean, I just, I can't believe it. Literally, I was just sitting there, do, 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 and you know, it's so crazy. Like when I used to teach preschool, they used to make us wear nursing scrubs. So I'm wearing like my nursing scrub oh. with the teddy bears on top and like oh. pink at the brushes. Just like, <laughs> so they probably so were you like, probably look like this. Oh, completely innocent. Just like, innocent fool of a young money? woman. Oh, and no. so they gave me the money in cash. I was like, thanks, guys. Because <laughs> they, they did every tool Appreciate background it. check. I know. Because everything I'll was I'll be back in two weeks with <laughs> depositing, you know, $2,000. I know. Weeks. So I gave. And the thing is, I was like, I'm not a fool. Me and Jake signed a contract. And so we did sign a contract, but a contract that's not enforceable mm. if you can't find the person. As soon as I gave him the money, oh, I was like, he's like, you know, like, you know, give me a couple of weeks. I'm going to sell the goods. We'll be good to go. And I said, okay. In the meantime, I was like, you know what? I never really had like a credit card before, like one that I could use. I think it, it was like burning a hole in my hand. And I was like, you know what? I'm about to have all this new money. I should mm-hmm. learn how, maybe I'll start a business. And so there was, I won't say the financial guru's name because he's still active, but there was a financial guru who was, who had these um, an online course before online courses are all the rage right now. And you could take this course. It was like a one-year, two-year course. And they would like walk you through starting and launching your business. And so- Does his name happen to sound like Rave Damsey? No. We can cut this out. He's a, yeah, he's okay. the worst. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, you don't have to cut no. that out, girl. Please, we, me and me and Mandy went in on him on my podcast, Brown Ambition. Oh. We went in. Do you, so. so I have been- publicly for like years yes. we can talk about that if you want but to yeah so he, to, we'll talk about the racial wealth gap this <laughs> and i love all this right like, we'll get there. We, will, we will so i <laughs> i went in, but this is why it's so important because so many of us black and brown folks are not privy to financial education so you are vulnerable to things like this so it, it all ties in so so anyway i i was like oh my gosh i really want to learn how to start a business so i bought his program for the tune of fifteen thousand dollars so all of a sudden, I went from no credit card debt to in like one week, $35,000 in credit card debt. And I was feeling well, and you good. you had lifestyle inflation before your lifestyle had even inflated. Exactly. Right? And mm-hmm. so it took me like a couple of weeks. I was like, I have not heard from Jake the Thief. So I'm calling him, calling him, calling him, frantic, frantic, frantic. And it was so bad for six months, he strung me along. You didn't get it? It's coming. Check your inbox. 
inbox. What? Uh, what? Let me call. Like, so I didn't feel like I'm obsessed with con people. Like, mm-hmm. I love reading the con stories, and that it's the classic thing. Yes. They either cut and run or they just say, like, oh, you didn't get the transfer. Yeah. Let me do it again. Let me do it. And yeah. And like, I was like, so I wasn't feeling scared. I was like, Jake, it didn't come through. Right. Oh, no. Well, you know, call the right. bank. All of this. And then he tried to get more money out of me. He was like, oh, you know, while I'm waiting for this, do you think you can lend me something for this? And I was like, well, Jake, I haven't gotten my initial money yet. Right. Anyway, it was just, um, it took me, honestly, I would say a full year for it to sink in that I was not going to get my money because then he stopped answering my calls. I'm and so sorry. Well, no, no. Honestly, I'm grateful for it because up until then, I was basically financially perfect. I had credit score was like an 802. I had savings. You know, I, I my retirement account, I was like maxing it out every year. I was doing everything right, but I was just doing what I was told. So I stepped mm. out on my own and made this mistake and it, it forced me to learn for myself how to right. fix myself. And in turn, that's what I used to help other people. And so, um, yeah, like, but you know, like I, there, I, it wasn't like I could go to the credit card company. I did. And said this is what happened. They're like, yes, but you, you, you know, you participated, unfortunately in your own scamming. Right. You know? So I, I owed the $35,000. Um, and um, it was hard because it normally, um, I'm like, I didn't want to take responsibility. Honestly, I said, no, I'm going to find Jake. He's going to pay me. So for a year, I just paid the minimums. And and if had I buckled down, I could have at least shaved maybe $10,000 off, you know, because yeah. by then maybe I was making like $50,000 as a teacher or 60000 as a teacher. Well, it's I also tanking your credit score while this is happening most likely. And, but too, I didn't, you know, right? I had no idea like, well, I, whatever that means. Right. And then because what, what had prior to that had happened is I bought a condo for $220,000. So now I have a mortgage. I, my undergrad, mm-hmm. I, I commuted. And so I was able to pay off the little bit of um, student loan debt that I did have because my parents helped pay for undergrad, but I got my master. So now I have $52,000 in, in, um, in a student Oof. loan debt for the first yeah. time. And then there's $35,000 in credit card debt. So I, I went from like no debt to be like $300,000 in debt. And then, like I said, I didn't want to take responsibility for that debt to the credit card debt to shave it down. Then 2009, when I finally was like, okay, Tiffany, we're going to buckle down. We have to get rid of this credit card debt. You know, I know you feel wrong by Jake, but you have to get rid of it. And then to find out, oh, by the way, there's no job to go back to. My my world came, I was like, does it get worse than this? Scam, all this money owed, no money coming in. And um, yeah, but I I had to, there was no person that came to save me. I had to step-by-step pay off I, I lost my house to foreclosure. That was gone. All that money that I had put into the house gone. I had to move back home with my parents. I was fortunate that I could sleep like, you know, in back in my middle school bed for a year. Then I slept on my sister's couch for a year and I dug my way out. I paid off the credit card debt. You know, like I, I didn't, I did, I, I considered um, filing for bankruptcy, but I decided not to because I just didn't want that stain. I'm like, oh, you already have foreclosure, girl. We can't, we can't be long and strong, you know, like, right. you know, you know? <laughs> And so, um, and, um, student loan debt, I was like, I was just a deferment queen, you know, I was like, thank God that they were federal student loans. I was like, forbearance, see you in two years. You know, (laughs) like I just kept doing forbearance, (laughs) you know, but as I was like cleaning myself up and fixing myself, it it took a moment because it was about a year and a half where I just fell into a deep depression and I did nothing. Um, except for everything was kind of automated, like all my, all my, um, the credit card debt, I was paying like just the minimum with the unemployment that I was receiving. And then a friend of mine kind of like shook me up because I was in, I was deep in shame. Like me, yeah. Tiffany, good with her money, Tiffany 
was deep in shame. And then a, a friend basically let me know that like, I, sh- I don't have anything to be ashamed about that. So many people were struggling and that yeah. I made a mistake. I had not kicked the puppy girl. You messed up with your money. It happens. And so right. that's what it took to kind of shake it doesn't make me you up. a bad person. It doesn't mean, you know, exactly. I don't believe, yeah. cause you know, you and I were on the same page. I don't believe in that shame financial education. Like, what are we doing? What's I, I'm realizing you're, you're my second, uh, second recording. And I'm realizing already that I think the, the unfortunate theme of this podcast is just going to be shame is bullshit. Right. Yes. And there's so much shame entrenched in yes. money and personal finance. I spoke to um, Jane Marie, who's the host of the dream, which is the podcast all about MLMs. Okay. And mm. so your, your, your take on the fact that you felt like, okay, he's going to pay me. He's going to pay me. He's going to mm-hmm. pay me. And like you held out. Yes. We, we saw it, a similar thread talking about MLMs of people get in and they immediately realize like, or, you know, they realize over time, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this is a shit show. Yeah. I'm not going to make the money that was promised me. Yeah. It is a scam, right? Yeah. And, but they stay in it because they don't want to admit to themselves yes. that they made the wrong decision yep. and they feel shame and failure. And then they also don't want to talk about it. So all yes. of these other people end up, uh, joining MLMs yes. because we we feel so much personal shame and personal failure mm-hmm. that we, yeah, we won't remove ourselves from the situation. Yep. We won't get honest with ourselves yep. and we also won't tell other people. Because which is, of that shame. Right. You, and and I don't blame I, anybody for it. It's just, it's just, yeah. It's the, the cycle because shame totally. honestly loves when you are by yourself, shame is like, yes, yeah, just me and you, girl. I know. I love saying shame lives in shadow. Shame <laughs> yes. lives in shame loves in silence. Anybody. Silence is like, oh, you keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. Good. And right. so it wasn't until because I have a um I um my, my I have a personal coach. Her name is Dr. Green. She's a therapist, and I was asking her like, why? Like, you know, what what is it about? Because I was working through some shame that was holding on to. She said, here's the thing: shame is a liar. So that's what makes it so dangerous. Shame doesn't say you made a mistake. Shame says you are a mistake. Oof. And so I was yeah. like, oof, exactly. I was like, girl, you worth your money. And then she said something that was <laughs> so bad. You're she like, said, embroider it on a pillow. And then she said, that's shame it. also, like she said, the only antidote to shame is voice. Yes. And I was like, oh, yes. she said, when you give voice to the thing, it literally instantly, shame is gone. So when my... When my best friend, Linda, was like, girl, tell me what's going on. And I broke it down into tears and I told her, I instantly gave voice to my shame and diminished its power. And when I said it again, diminished some more. And I said it again and again and again. And as I started to help other people with their stuff, giving them permission to to hand over that shame to me via voice, people like, so really that's what I'm on a mission to do. Like share it, share it, share it so we can get to the solutions because shame also shields solutions. And I realized like uh, that um, the thing that I love doing the most teaching, I could bring that into this arena because so many people, especially women, especially women of color, were needing this information. And so like that's that's how the budget needs to turn from what was going to be, you know, a nonprofit, me just going into the schools and like, you know, volunteering my time into this business. Because one, I didn't have any money coming in. And my best friend was like, girl, why don't you make this into a business? You're helping everybody with your budget anyway. And I was right. like, can you do May that? May as well get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it took even some like um, finagling because I felt bad about, do I charge people who need help? Mm-hmm. So I navigated that space. But also too, I wanted to give women a place to voice their shame so we can get to the financial solutions needed. Because this is a, this is um, um, the black and brown communities and 
I'll speak specifically of Black communities because I am myself an African-American and Black. Um, this is financial education is rarely taught and often whether through benign neglect or on purpose hidden from this community. You know, like people will come in to our, our, our black churches. You know, we talked about DR period and right. basically tell you, you ain't ish and thank you for your money, honey. And I'm just like, I literally would, I, I was on me and Mandy, we, we had like this whole episode where we talked about why, why you let people talk to you crazy. You let this person come into your church to tell you, look at you, you're so terrible. You're and take your money while he makes four hundred million dollars a year and tells you how dare you get a, a stimulus check. And he I'm just profits I profits off of your self-hatred. Yeah. He I'm makes just you like, hate yourself yes. and then sells his products as a solution. I call him the diet pill of personal fame. Oh, ooh, um, he yes. tells you he tells you you're fat. Yep. Yes. Right? He tells you you need to lose weight. And then he goes, Oh, here's this magic He's, diet pill that I make a bunch of money it off is, of. It is egregious yeah. at best, and yeah. and honestly, it is it's evil at worst, you know. Yeah. Because there are people yeah. who really need help, and you can tell. And so, I think it's important. This is what I love that we are the new face of financial education. The new face of financial education. There, it's women, people of color, LGBTQQI, yeah. right? Plus, yeah. right? Um, QIA um, plus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. This is the new face of financial education because people deserve to see themselves in other people. They deserve yes. to say, oh, my gosh, Tori's like me. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my gosh. Right. Tiffany's like me. Yes, 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 yes. Plus, two, I don't believe in the, the financial guru bullshit. You know, I always say, like, you know, I'm more your financial <laughs> girlfriend than your financial guru, because right. if you make someone your guru and they are really good at one thing, but they're not so great at the others, you follow them in all things, then you don't learn how to discern when it comes to, is this good financial advice? I want you to have a collection of people that you lean into, that you listen to. Um, And I think that um, that is one of the ways to to, to close the, 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 the racial wealth gap is one, it's through education. You know, like knowledge is, yes. is critical. My three components are knowledge, access, and community. Knowledge, because when you know better, you do better. That's why I wrote, I'm just a little plug, shameless plug. My answer. That's why I wrote, dun, 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 dun. Right. <laughs> get good with money. Get good with money. Right? By the time this book. comes out, it will be, it will be on shelves. So go ahead. Yes. <laughs> but so knowledge, because I truly believe if you give people access to knowledge, they can change their lives. Right. Then access. This part is critically important. Access comes to people. There are literally some doors. There is no doorknob on the outside. Someone on the inside has to pull you in. How can I know how to invest? Just like I can't spontaneously learn that someone who's an insider who knows this has to pull me in. This is why I partner with people. This is why I'm on podcasts like yours, Tori, that like it's important that you have to you have to connect with people who know to pull you into spaces that you normally would not have access to. And last yes. but not least, but super important, community. I find that we work best, especially women, in community, you know, yep. because like women are like, so what did you learn? Well, this is what I did. Well, what about you? Oh, this is what I did. I mean, we swap everything from how to raise babies, how to do hair, what to wear. Now let's talk about money the same way. But that's only part of what's going to help close the racial wealth gap because there are other components we're not paid equitably, you know, at work, you know, so there's something there has to change. Like, so, you know, equal pay then it will be coming up. And so we find that women are paid less than men. We know that, but then you, they don't, sometimes they don't dig through the stats deeper. 
it's not just women are paid less than men. Black women are paid even less. Latina women are paid even less. Native women are paid even less. It's like, it's worse than like what the initial women are paid less than men. No, let's really dig deep. So it's 78 cents to a man's dollar on average, Mm -hmm. but then it's even less for every single, everybody else. It's so much worse than the to eighty two cents exactly, number that gets, and so gets and then and then so you're like okay so one I make less okay great right and then on top of that the things that you own are devalued I'll give you an example there yes. is a appraisal crisis that has been here yes, for so long I wanted long. to talk to you about that mm-hmm. talk to us all about that please so I'll give you an example so my house was I bought this house it was foreclosure I bought it for one eighty renovated it fully moved in. Five months within moving in, it was right during, um, right when pandemic hit. We had only lived here five months. When I talk about renovated, renovated it fully, I'm talking about every hinge is new. Mm-hmm. Like we did floors, gutted opened the up the ceilings and walked, gutted it, right? It's a beautiful 1920s house. We kept all the original features. Oh, but yay. <laughs> I love older homes. So I just was like, okay. Yep, so we put in all this work into this house. We'd only lived here five months, meaning it's a brand new house, basically. So I told my husband, you know, the house is paid off, you know, the market is looking a little bit like, you know, crazy. There's going to be a dip. What if we pulled out some equity from the house and invested it, you know, yeah. even though we don't, cause we don't currently have a mortgage. And he's like, okay, let's do it. We spoke with our financial, our, our certified financial planner, Anjali. She was like, okay, let's do it. So I forgot that when you go through an appraisal, like when you're, when you're doing what's called a cash out refi that you have to, it's almost like buying the house again, you have to have again. the house appraised. And my stomach sunk as a person of color because I already knew the mm. stats. And how our houses are appraised, like sometimes up to 30% less on average than, than homes not owned by black and brown people. And I was like, oh man. Is my your husband pro- black as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I thought to myself, damn. Because my, my idea was always, okay, my, one of my really great friends, Catherine, she's white. If I ever have to, and I always I used to tease her like, Catherine, Catherine, if I ever have to sell my house, you know you're going to be here, right? And she's like, oh, girl, I got you. But then I was like, it was literally quarantined the beginning. And I remember being like, ah, Catherine can't be me. And I was like, you know what? I took all the black, all of our pictures off the wall. You know, mm. I turned everything around. I took all of our yeah. art down. But at the end of the day, you see this face. I mean, there's no denying it. The The guys came in. He was really nice. Oh, beautiful house. Oh my gosh. I could tell you guys put so much into the renovation. I said, yep, we've only been here, lived here for five months. You know, it was a seven month renovation, all new plumbing, all new electric. Cause you know, these houses in 1920, they didn't have any updates. Right totally um um insulated the place i mean everything is new so he he commented well, on <laughs> in in this conversation what code switching are you doing just to have this conversation no we're just like honestly i'm just like because i'm trying to like set it up like this is a new house all the things yeah. like, you know like so the code switching probably would be that i turned around my pictures even though i'm like right because i thought to myself maybe he's not the one that actually decides at the end of the day so mm-hmm. i knew that they were going to take pictures of the home so I thought, well, maybe the person who looks at the pictures, if they don't see black faces in the pictures, maybe they can be fooled into thinking that maybe this is, can you imagine? And so like, and then, cause I can't, I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. And so he came in super nice, new, came back, the number came back low. And I said, cause I, this is what it is to be black. You think to yourself, am I making this a race thing where it's not a race thing, Tiffany? Maybe it's yeah. not, maybe it's not. Cause you're like, wait, even though like internally, I'm like, I know this house is worth more than this, but are you making a thing? No, no, no. So I asked a friend of mine who was a realtor to do an assessment. And she was like, well, honestly, Tiffany, the house would be worth about 30 or $40,000 more than what he said. She's like, and if I do like the comps in the area and things like that. And I was just like, well, 
maybe because she's my friend who sang it. And so I'd, I'd mentioned it on social. And then the New York Times reached out to me. They were doing an article mm. about appraisals. Look at that. And so I didn't end up making the article, but the gift that they gave me, she said, can we see your appraisal? We want an independent appraiser to appraise it. I was like, yes, finally. I know. I was like, yes. So New York I gave Times my, coming through. I know. Like I said, I didn't make Happy the article. To be a subscriber. I, I didn't make the article because there are people who had way more egregious, you know, happenings, sure. but still at least. So the, the independent appraiser came back and was like, hmm. Two things that stood out to him, two, this can't be possibly an accident things that stood out to him. He said, one, I thought you said your house was newly renovated. I said, yeah, like it's not even five months old. And he was like, the comparables that he's chosen, none of these homes are renovated. That's a huge difference. So if you guys don't understand, a comparable means that the other house has to be similar to yours. That's how they decide if my house is five bedrooms, three full baths. You can't compare it to a one bedroom, one, one bath house. It's not, you can't, they don't compare. So they compared old rundown houses to my new house on the inside. So like that, that's intentional. That's not accidental. And the one that's even more egregious, this is the one that made me like, honestly, like, like clutch my pearls. And so houses get letters like C1, C2, C3, I believe it is, it's C1, C2, or H1, H2, H3. It's one of those letters. And one of them represents like it's the level of wear and tear on your house. He gave us a level three, meaning that this house has been through a lot of wear and tear. When we had just renovated and just moved in within five months, that's a lie. Even he said, wow, I can tell you guys just moved in. I can tell it's just been right. renovated. There's literally one of the, one of the like C2 is newly renovated home. So he chose on purpose to, 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 to label our home in a way that said, that this house has not been renovated. As a matter of fact, it has wear and tear when there is no no such thing. So there's no accident to that. And I just remember being so disgusted. I didn't, I honestly didn't know, like I had Google, like, what do you do? There's not much to do. So I just took, I said, you know, I'm not going to go through the, um, the process of pulling money out. We decided not to do that. And I remember like, has financial consequences for you, for me, because you could be making that money that maybe we would have pulled out. $200,000 $200,000 from the house and that money by right. now, we've all seen that the market has rebounded like 60%. Imagine that right. could have been an extra $120,000 for my husband and right. I, you know? Right. And I just was like, <sighs> so I, I posted it on social and a friend of mine. So I wrote this law called the budget needs to law. It went into effect. Well, I wrote a bill with a friend of mine that turned into the budget needs to law. Either on, on podcast or later, that is a goal of mine. Okay. Financial literacy. And we, I want to chat with you. Yes. So please explain what it is because it's, it's so, one of my favorite parts of your story. <laughs> it makes financial education mandatory for middle school students in New Jersey. The original yes, like yes, right yes, out yes. <laughs> was for elementary and, and middle school, but they pushed back. It was like, Ooh, those kids are too young. And cause New Jersey already has a long place for high school. <laughs> I know, but we're going back for They're elementary not. now that the middle school is like doing well. Cool. So Angela B. McKnight, assembly woman and Angela B. McKnight, Call me and she was like, I saw your post about your house. I'm so sorry. I said, Yeah. I was like, What can I do? It's not like I can write a law. She's like, We can. I was like, Wait, what? Chick Tiffany, hello. We we did the budget. You just wrote law. a law. What do you mean? I was like, Wait, <laughs> Angela, we can write a law. So now there is a, a bill that's been proposed making it illegal, yes, in the state of New Jersey, because that's where we are. Um, to make it illegal to uh, um, assess or appraise someone's house based upon their race, their gender, 
mm-hmm. um, and their religion. And um, because I told her, it's not just that, you know? So, cause I told her, I want in this bill that we're writing up that yes, it's illegal. There's clear consequences. You can lose your license and then there's a fine. Mm-hmm. But I said, bigger yep. than that, I want inside the bill that it's mandatory that your realtor and the appraiser, when they give you your appraisal, have in there like a checklist of what to look for. So like there, there, there's educational, educational component and something that says to the effect of, if you think that this appraisal has been done unfairly, here is what you can do. Here is right. where you can call. Because I want the appraiser to be on notice. I have just handed this homeowner like, like, oh, it's almost like on a, on a cigarette pack where it says warning, this may come. <laughs> so I want the appraiser because I want them to be on notice. And I also want the homeowner to be like, wait a minute, I'm looking up. We're C2. This house was renovated. No, no, no. The comps, because most homeowners are not, are not, don't fully understand it. I know I didn't. So I said, I wanted that to be included. There has to be some, some educational um, pamphlet or component that your realtor goes over with you. And that's inside your appraisal that the appraiser must give you as well to make sure that you can do a checklist for yourself to make sure that you have not received an unfair appraisal. And if you do, who is who you call? And this is what can happen to the appraiser if found guilty. And she was like, got you. So we wrote that bill. It's waiting to be like basically put before like committee as we voted on like three or four different times. But how do we support it? So I'm waiting. So Angela it has not come before committee yet. So usually they have to choose okay. a committee. Like for example, the budget needs to law. It was the education committee. They had to say, yes, we're going to back it. Let's bring it to the house. The house votes. If it passes, let's bring it to the Senate, the Senate right. votes of the state. And then if this <laughs> it passes the Senate, then let's sit it in front of the governor and the governor has to give it the final go see. So we're in the <laughs> pre stages where it's kind of like in line. Cause you know, there's hundreds if not thousands of laws suggested every year so it's kind of like in line and she told me you know when it gets close to 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 be seen by committee you know she's gonna let me know and I'll, i'll blast on social media places where we can call and email to let them know this is a law that we want i've also seen that our current president has acknowledged that homes are um He's the first one to ever acknowledge because i don't think people understand it's like oh you know thirty thousand dollars from tiffany's home no 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 thirty thousand from my home the home next door, the home next door, that is literally hundreds of millions of dollars taken from black and brown communities. That is the wealth gap. So you make less at work. And then the thing that you own, your biggest, your biggest generator of wealth, typically your home, is devalued. How do you catch up in those situations and, and circumstances? And you can't invest the money that you would have gotten exactly. through that. Through That's the wealth gap. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's really disheartening. Like, so... I make less and the thing that I own is devalued. Like, I mean, you could just see, like, look what happened when, when Brooklyn, it was mostly, um, um, black and brown people that lived in Brooklyn. It was like, oh, this is how much things are, are, are worth. You push them out and then you, 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 you renovate to make it better and, and not, not making it so that none of the original people who were there could benefit from that renovation. People will always say, what's so bad about gentrification? Don't you want the community to be better? I do. But the people who well, live there better. Exactly. But meaning like, yes, I would love better. to see a reduction in crime. I would love to see cleaner right. streets while I live here as well. Right. Like you, right. you don't get to push me out and then clean it up and say, but Brooklyn is so much better. And now, so when right. I and own does Brooklyn, better mean whiter. Right? Exactly. Better, whiter. Exactly. So when a black person owns this, 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 this brownstone in Brooklyn, it's worth $10,000. But then when a white person owns this brownstone in Brooklyn, it's worth 3 million. 
Do you see like how it, it, it has to be law and no matter how much financial education you and I do, it does not supersede like yes. what, what happens. Like, there, there has to be that component as well. Yes. Education. Yes. Community. Yes. Access. But there has to be law to help to change and uphold what is yep. right and fair. So. Yeah. To your point, there's only so much that we can do as educators mm-hmm. to help combat systemic oppression. Mm-hmm. This starts with the system yeah. itself. It doesn't start with educators trying to work within the system. Mm-hmm. It's It comes from legal change. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. It's just, yeah. It's just, honestly, I love the work that we get to do. I mean, definitely there are days where you're like... Me too. But it's, it's also, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. So you, you've answered this. In, in, you know, many ways, I want to more formalize the question. How do you think that members of the Black community have to either manage their money differently or think about money differently? So what we have to think about, you have to, you have to become more creative in the ways that you earn money, mm-hmm. ways that race does not play a role. So there are more and more people that are getting into investing because, you know, no, whoever's on the other side doesn't get to see what you look like. And so I'm loving that there's a shift to learning about investing, leaning into investing. I'm talking about the market, you know? So yes, investing in business for sure, investing in real estate for sure, but like, but really specifically investing in the market because you get to navigate just like everyone else. Your dollar doesn't look differently out there in the market. So that is one of the ways that you have to navigate differently. It has to be more of a priority for you than any other type of person to learn to invest because there are other aspects of your life that are devalued and you don't have a say in them. So you have to make up that value in aspects of your life where you do have a say. So that's, that's one. And two, it's really each one, teach one that when you learn a thing, show a thing, teach a thing. The beauty about teaching is that when you teach, you learn twice, right? So even you're like, well, I don't even know what, do you know what a stock is? You know, tell your sister, the fact that you know that a stock is a piece of a company, now you have ownership in a company, that's more than most. Yep. And then she might trade and be like, well, girl, that's so great because, you know, I just learned what a bond is. Okay, now what? Well, you know, my other girlfriend knows what an ETF is and my other girlfriend right. knows how to open up a brokerage account. What asset allocation is. Exactly. Allocation, yeah. You know, and then in community, you trade information, you learn and you build and grow together. So you, you have to get more creative in how you make money. You have to learn how to um, invest and you can't put your head in the sand. You, you have to understand that, yes, they are, the chips are stacked against you. And you're going to have to like do a little side hustling here or, or bending this way, but it is possible. And when you're, when you get there to bring other people along, the, the knowledge access and community, that access component is you. Now, once you're in those rooms, you need to open the door and, 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 and put your foot in the door so more people can, can come in and, and join you. So it, it really has to be like a, a group effort. And I'm seeing it more and more. I've never, ever, ever. In my 10 years of teaching financial education, seeing more black and brown people talk about investing now more than ever before. Sometimes it's a little worrisome because certainly the conversation, some of them, you know, it, it's they're they're taking more risk on than they ought to, but at least the conversation is being had. It's being had, you know? And so um certainly, you know, there's there'll be corrections along the way, but people didn't want to talk about that before. I saw a stat on um on Dr. Hans. He's um the uh, the real estate yeah. investor no I forget what his name is the, the investing tutor investing tutor well. he's great and I was like oh man he said um only three percent of black women own stocks and I was like wow 
3%, you know? I didn't know it was that. Mm-hmm. And I said, so imagine if you just push that to 10%, how that could change the wealth gap. I read somewhere, which is so And you don't have to buy individual stocks, right? There's ETFs or- Yes, you can. Or, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, because right. I'm really not an individual stock girl. Like for me- me either. You know, like my sister, she actually loves it. She loves to do the research. She loves, I mean, she bought Tesla when it was $30. Okay. She, yeah, she's an engineer and she loves. (laughs) She's doing all right now. Yes. I remember she told me, she was like, oh my gosh, this is a new car company. I'm so excited. Because like I said, she's an engineer. It's called Tesla. I'm like, what? Tesla. She's like, Tesla, I'm going to buy um $2,000 worth of shares. You should jump in. I was like, "Mm mm-mm. And then when it got to $100, she's like, you know, I, you know, I made three times my money to jump in. I was like, no, now I'm like, mm. right. <laughs> so I just bought my first individual stock last month. I, I saw, Bumble, I love it. I, that you yeah, bought from Bumble. I was like, mm-hmm. yep. yeah. I was like, all um, right. Cause I only wanted to specifically invest in companies that I was like, yes, I love that to succeed. So, yeah. and so, but she, she honestly, she told, she sold Tesla some, some time ago, but, um, but, but still I, you know, I want that stat to change because it's that's that they, they share about my community is that by 2050, it's going to be bankrupt. The black community will be bankrupt. And I just hate seeing stats like stats like that because I feel like they only share those negative stats about black and brown communities when it comes to finance, you know, when it comes to anything, you know, that like. Yep. And so I'm just like, you know, because I'm there's a um, Sandy Smith has this like great organization called Elevate. And we have yep, a. She's um, amazing. Um, we have a Facebook group um, filled with basically other, you know, black and brown, um, Asian. And um, and we are always talking about, like, what can we do to make that stat a lie? You know, yeah. like, how can we work together? Like, what is what do what does your audience need? Like, you know, I love partnering. I'm always having different people speak to my audience because I want them one. I want to model good behavior that I am not the rooter and the tutor. Like, I need you to understand that there are other people who know more than me in specific subject matters and that you should listen some to me, some to that. So that way, if even if I get it wrong, you can discern and say, hmm, no, not that, you know, because also, right. too, what if I'm not here? If I'm the only person you listen to and then I retire, then what right. happens, you know? Right. And so, um, yeah, I just I think that's what it's going to take. I think it's going to take knowledge. It's going to take access and it's going to take community and but I'm excited for it. I, I don't feel helpless or hopeless about it. I see the change is coming and, and shift is coming and people are waking up. Um, and that's why you see such an attack on these communities, because there's a fear that like, wait, these folks who scarcity, mm-hmm, these folks who we we have um, counted on them staying ignorant are, are no longer doing so. So now what? Yeah. So I was at. Uh, a conference a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was this whole activity with the Center for Financial Services, which I think has a different name now. They're a nonprofit about you know, financial literacy and education. But it was basically for an hour, you worked as a team and it was like you were going on your lunch break mm. and you had to go and try to cash a check yes. being unbanked. Mm-hmm. You had to try to get a one of those prepaid debit cards. Mm-hmm. You had to inquire about what a payday loan would cost. Mm-hmm. And as someone, again, who grew up with a financial education, I had never set foot in like a money tree mm-hmm. or a pay, payday loan place. Mm-hmm. I had never considered where I would cash a check if I didn't have a bank account. Mm-hmm. I had never considered, you know, going and getting a debit card because... I, you know, or a prepaid debit card because I didn't have access to a debit card through a bank or to a credit card. 
And the more research I started doing around under or unbanked people, mm-hmm. the more, of course, I realized that it, it's a significant number of black and brown people who yes. are disenfranchised and disadvantaged when it comes to being un or underbanked. So when I was doing research for this episode, it's 30% of black communities are either under or unbanked. Yep. Why do you think that is? Because there's not access. So I taught in Newark, New Jersey, which is um, by and large um, Latina, Latino and, and, and Black folks, mostly Black. And the neighborhood where I taught was um, struggling financially. Um, and there were, there were very few resources there. I mean, there were a ton of corner stores with ATMs with high fees. There were a ton of, um, you know, they didn't even have like fresh fruit available. Like literally most people were getting, if you had to get fruits and vegetables, you would get it from the local like bodega, which that's not fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, Kids would come in eating honey buns. I remember one mother, she was 19 and she had her daughter, Maya. And I was like, girl, you cannot give Maya a honey bun first thing in the morning. She's going to be jumping off the wall. She's like, it's honey. Because she's like, there was not, there was no access to how do I, in her mind, she really thought of all the things I can give my daughter, a honey bun, there's honey here. And I've heard that honey is good. And I remember being like, oh man. And so there is a, there is, it's a, it's a resource desert, you know, in many of these neighborhoods. And so how, how do you get access to without having to take a bus an hour or so away? You know, how, how I know so many people, I remember when it came time to, when refund checks came or your tax refund came, people would go to the cash. I used to literally tell the parents, like, do not go to check cashing. You, you know, you have a $5,000 refund check and you're going to lose hundreds of dollars. You should yeah. just open up a bank account. Well, there's no banks around here. And I just would think to myself, wow, it was just, it was a lack of access, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's just so well, when I first started the bust of banks and the financial institutions as well. Yeah, that too. Like honestly, kind to black communities, mm-hmm. and also too, it was just a lack of access and less lack of education being taught. Like, yeah. well, this is how you do. So one of the things when I first started the budget, he said, I was doing the volunteer work. I partnered with this nonprofit that used to go to every single project building, and I've been to every single one in Newark. And at least two or three times in the community room, we would have all this food, and people come in, and I would teach basic financial education just to interject it. I mean, people would be like, really? What? I'm like, yes. If you put your money in the bank, they're not going to take, you know, two, $300 to, to deposit right. your, or to get your, your refund check. Like, Oh, I, I didn't know. And so it just, it, you it like, no, you're not born just knowing money. Someone has to tell you. And so that's really what it's But we think we should be, which is the crazy part. Yes. We don't pop out of the womb like, you know, fluent in French and knowing how to play the cello. And yet mm-hmm. for some reason we expect ourselves to know how to do yep. personal finance, right? Like I always think like, a, like, you know, if you were to fall and break your leg right now, you wouldn't be like, oh man, dang, how come I don't know how to set my own bone? I'm, something must be wrong with me. <laughs> You wouldn't be right. mad at yourself. You'd be like, well, I didn't go to medical school. Why would I know that? But when it comes to money, right. you're like, wow, how come I don't know how to invest and trade and, and budget and, and save and fix my credit? Well, it's the same. If if you didn't receive education in it, you wouldn't know. Right. You know? Well, and, and of course you don't. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's yeah. why it's important for the voice, the, the, the face of financial education to, sh- to change. I'm actually ashamed to say, but at first, so when I when I wrote Kick It With Money, I remember Penguin and my um my agent 
wanted me to be on the cover and I didn't want to be on the cover. Mm. I was like, no one's gonna. Of your own book. Yes. And you know why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I said, if it's going to sit on the shelves in Barnes and Nobles, people are going to look and see a black woman on the cover of a finance book and say, I'm not getting it. And I was, you know what I mean? Like I really thought, and I was like, I really fought for it. I was like, no, no, maybe we'll just put some graphs on the cover. No, no. And they were like, tipping. I literally have tears in my eyes. No woman should feel mm-hmm. that way. And I was just, no like, woman should get a fucking book deal. I know. And then think to themselves, if I, I'm literally crying. No one should think that no one should have to think that way. That if I put my mm-hmm. face of on the cover of my book yes. that I work so hard to write and to get a book deal for that people will be less likely to buy it. If my face is on it because of my race. Mm-hmm. And I, cause, cause I've seen in the, in the, in the finance community, I've literally seen when I've gone to that conference that we shall not name and I remember mm-hmm. at the time I had done this online challenge called the Literature Challenge and I'd signed up like 2,500 yeah. women and I was super excited. And a friend of mine, I can't remember who, I don't know if it was Stephanie, somebody, but she was white and she had like her, maybe I signed up 10,000 women by then and her audience size was like 1,500 or 2,000. And I was sharing with her like excited, like, oh my God, I got 10,000 women signed up for the challenge. And she was like, Tiffany, okay. Yeah. She had gotten all these brand deals and she was like, oh. We're going to the conference. I'm going to introduce you to all those people. So excited. I was right. like, woohoo! Because she was like, that sounds, it's probably Steph O'Connell. Yes, yeah, that, you know, I'm like, almost yeah. positive it was her. And so I was like, okay. If she's supporting it. sounds like Steph. Yeah. <laughs> and so I made this, um, this like media kit. And I asked the women yeah. who were, some of the women who did the challenge to send me their picture. So all you see this beautiful array of different shades of brown faces, faces on, the, on the front of the kit. It says, Live Richer Challenge. And like media kit. And so she took me to table, table. Hi, Jonathan. This is my friend, Tiffany. She's awesome. She's a budgetista. You know how like I've got 2,500 followers. Tiffany has 10,000 people that signed up for her challenge. And they were like, eyes lit up. 10,000 people. I give them media kit with brown faces and I see the light go down. Oh, are, are these the people who are in it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, um, well, you know, we'll take a look. And I was like, okay. One, one brand, two brands, three brands, four. And I remember thinking like, what? Like what? It, you know what I mean? Like it was so yeah. disheartening that like you don't want to help black and brown women. Honestly, the the reason why I started Budgetista really it went so hard was out of defiance because I was like, oh, I'm gonna show you, right? I'm gonna show you. Mm-hmm. And now yep. that we're out here rocking a million women strong, those very same brands kiss my ass every single day. Hey, Tiffy, love. To, oh, I bet you would love to partner. We're busy right now. You know, like I partner very, yep. very infrequently. You're not going to see my page with a whole bunch of uh, spokesperson. I don't need it. We're good. I've told banks time and time again, some of the biggest and the baddest banks who, you know, wanted to sp- spend plenty of money. And I was like, yeah, I don't like the way you treat my community. Oh, what did, no. Well, we, you know, we could pay you. There's no amount of money. you can pay. And I remember I told one bank in particular, yep. I said, what are you going to pay me? $10,000. We made that today. You made 50. We made that this week. Yep. You'll pay a hundred thousand. Yep. We made that this month. A million. We made that this year. Yep. Like there's literally yeah. nothing that you can pay me. I'm in service to well, my and audience. Why sacrifice and sacrifice the trust of your community? Exactly. But I wanted to show them that, like, I purposefully made it that I have I have created a business that's in service to my community, and that's all I have to be. I, that's all I have to honor. Yeah. That like I make my yeah. money by making sure I treat my community right. Why would I step outside of that? 
for you. The, right. You know, like, cause he who pays the piper determines the tune. So if all of my money came from outside sources, that's the piper. They pay me. I'd be the piper. Then I would have to be like, Ooh, in order for me to make money, I have to make sure the brands like me. But because my money comes directly from my audience, they're the only ones I ever have to concern myself with. They're the only yeah. ones. One bank told me like, Oof. wouldn't your audience, like, you know, they would be so impressed if you partnered with, with us. I said, no. My audience would you be. You should be impressed for That's exactly with what me. I said. You're, my audience would be impressed that you got to partner with me. It's the opposite. And I turned them down. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. yeah. So it's just, I love to see the direction that things are going in. You know, like I said, I'm I'm proud of my new book, Get Good With Money. It, I wanted to write a, a guide specifically for women to help them along the path to what I call financial wholeness. Cause I feel like financial freedom has kind of been a lie that's been sold, especially to yeah. black and brown communities. And I, I believe in a more holistic. It feels like pro- the American dream. Yes. It feels like the American dream rebranded. It, yes. Sometimes. And like, it's bullshit. The yeah. average person is not going to have a lump sum of money that you no longer have to work anymore. Now, some people will, mm. but the teacher in me doesn't teach to some people. I'm here to teach that all people can have access to financial wholeness, which is really these 10 components that build your financial foundation. If you can do that, then you can build upon those 10 components, these 10 financial wholeness components. You can build whatever you want on there. Like, even though I no longer teach preschool, I still am the teacher of the fundamentals of your life, whether it's ABCs, one, two, threes, or budget, credit, debt of your personal financial life. So it's been a long yeah. journey and an awesome one. And I, I can't wait to see what the next 10 years looks like. So, uh, I mean, in this conversation, it's very easy for us to talk a lot about Black trauma. Mm-hmm. And so much of the public narrative focuses on Black mm-hmm. trauma. Can we just talk about Black joy? Yes. What do you love about being Black? How can we support your joy <laughs> in, being, in being a woman I, of color? Someone told me, what is it, what's my favorite part about being a Black woman? And I said, hands down, other Black women. We have like this, like I could be walking down the street and a black woman was like, girl, your hair is beautiful. No, girl, your eyes are beautiful. No, sis, this lipstick, it is like this <laughs> love fest with black women and the way we are so overly protective of each other. Like if I'm out and I see like another woman, especially a black woman in, in particular, she might seem to be in trouble. You should see the flock of people. We don't have to know you, you know, the flock of people that come to your aid because we know the danger is greater for you. Like my favorite part about being a black woman is other black women. I have four sisters and they are amazing. My, my, my sister in love instead of my sister-in-law, I love her. She is amazing. My mom is this amazing woman as well. It's like, it's, it is, I'm, I'm married to an amazing uh, black man who, who supports me. He's an amazing father. He is kind. I always tell him that like, like one of the reasons why I, um, hired a coach, cause I know everybody, everybody always thinks that like I have my shit together all the time. I'm like, I don't, I, I sometimes <laughs> like I suffer from people pleasing and that can lead to like bullying where I tend to shrink. Yep. And he always tells yep. me like, you tell me who, cause my husband is six, six. I'm like, no babe, I need to, I need to learn to do it on my own. He's like, oh no, you can do it on your own. I just stand behind you. Like, yeah, tell him Tiffany. Tell him <laughs> <how you." laughs> so I just like, I also love black love. Like my husband honestly is amazing. I just, I love that he said it. Cause he was like, uh, uh-uh, I'll stand behind you with my arms folded. Like Tiffany has something to say. Go ahead, babe. Tell them how they, how they're not taking advantage of you no more. I'm like, so that is just, just an amazing you know, aspect of being black. I love that there, we're not a monolith, that there's so many ways that you can show up. Mm. Um, I love that, like, when you feel seen by other sisters that like, 
just how they make space for e- for how we make space for each other because we know that oftentimes space is not made other places. Um, honestly, I love the way my skin looks. Like it's popping. I was just on with um Farnoosh the other day, and you look amazing. She yeah. was saying something. She was like, "Oh, something, something," because you know Tiffany, you're you know because you're younger than me. I'm like, no, Farnoosh, we're the same age. And at the same time, she was like, "I'm 41," and we said at the same time. She was like, "How are you 41 with this skin?" I was like, "Sis, melanin." <laughs> So like, I love the way my skin shows up and shows out without, you know, you told me that this yellow is my color. I'm like, yes, I, you know, I, I, I can honestly say that despite all that comes with it, I would not choose otherwise. I wouldn't. It is a beautiful place to be. And, you know, I'll take the good. Um, and it does come with some, you know, some bad, but that that's just how life goes. But yeah, I honestly, I love being a black woman who is in service to other women, but especially in service to other black women. Honestly, Tori, when I go out, women come up and hug me and just start crying like black women. They're just like, I just believe you so much. You know, sometimes it's just for you being visible. And sometimes because they're yeah. like, I bought a house or, you know, what I mean, women who hit me up said I was yeah. homeless and I took one of your challenges. Mm. And I, two years later, I'm now a homeowner. And so like that right there. Aren't those the best? They're the best. I mean, it's why we do what we do. It's like, it keeps you motivated. Even if you're having a bad day, you realize that you're in it for like the, the bigger transformation. And so, yeah, I, I I, like, I don't feel sorry for, for black and brown people. There is so much joy that, that that's being had here. (laughs) We can acknowledge the pain and say, we're going to work to make this better, but best believe there is a lot of joy being had. And I'm certainly enjoying my joy. Last question for you. How can us white folks support that joy? How can we show up? What's, what's a couple ways that are super actionable Mm -hmm. that we can make sure to show up as the best allies possible. So if you could be coach, sponsor, um, mentor, so like if you're working in corporate, you know, taking on people who don't look like you under your wing to say, you know, let me coach you in some of the ways of what it's going to look like for you to elevate and to, to take your, your career to the next level. So that is critically important. Two, when black and brown people are not around, speaking positively of someone that you're working with, right? Like, oh my God, did you see Tiffany? She killed that presentation because your peers are more likely to listen to you. Like, you know what? She did kid that pre- kill that. She it. did. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so like when, when, you know, your, your black and brown peers are not around, speak positively about them to, to normalize that. Um, purposely create space. So I had a friend that worked for a big, huge financial international company and her mentor was an older white man. And right before he retired, he elevated her to the next level. He created space because he had mentored her. So he was like, you're ready to have this position. And it was a huge position. So if you're in positions of power and you've cultivated relationships with folks and you see that they're more than ready, create space you know, for, for people, not because she's black and not performative. Cause I've definitely had financial brands when everything was happening. When <laughs> like, I remember literally I had to tell one brand that I'm not your black bandaid. They were like, what? I said, I'm not yeah. your black bandaid. I asked them, they said, you know, we'd love for you to do a, an Instagram takeover. And I was like, okay, well, how many black employees do you have? Uh, right. Well, yeah. How many women? No, do you have? no black employees. Yeah. No, no black contractors. <sighs> no, black. I said, Hmm, really? Cause in our little company, 
we've been able to manage to find 25 and you're a big company. You couldn't, you have not managed to find one. And they have the audacity yep. to say, oh, wait, we have hired black um, models and actors for some of our ads. I said, oh, so you recognize that you want to take black money, but you don't want to put money in black pockets. Got it. I'll move on. They were like, you want to be publicly. Yes. Support it, yes, but privately. But no, there's nothing yeah. there for you. So, you, but making, mm. you know, doing that, like if you are someone who owns a company, you know, cast a wide net for, for talent, you know, make that intentional yeah. because it is shown. We're doing that right now as a company. We're trying to figure that, you awesome. know, how do we, how do we make sure that the women that we hire are not just all white women? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's something that, that is, you know, you have to be intentional. You have about. to. We're very much thinking through that as a company of like, as we grow and we need more people, how do we make sure that we're, we're supporting and amplifying women of color first? And yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, because when you do that, I mean, uh, studies have shown time and time again, that the, the more, the more diverse your work environment is, it leads yeah. to more success for your company. I'm like, everybody wins. So leaning into that. And also too, like, I mean, normalize, Black people in spaces where maybe we weren't before. Like I can remember speaking Mm -hmm. for large organizations and I walked up to the mic and I saw like, it was just a room full of white faces. And I, I remember I was so nervous and I saw these two women in the front row. They're like, she's not the speaker. Oh, she's just checking the mic. That's what I heard her mouth. (gasps) And I remember my heart sunk, you know? And so, so I would say to listen and recognize your unconscious bias. It's not to say that you're a bad person. Cause I just was telling somebody today, that they had some unconscious bias. It said, no, I don't. I'm like, it's unconscious. That's why, that's why they call it unconscious bias. <laughs> that's why you know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, bruh, it's here. And right. so, yep. you know, it's okay to, because I have unconscious bias. It's okay to acknowledge. Like, you know, like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. You're right. Yep. You know, so to, to, to acknowledge that you have unconscious bias and to work to thwart that. So like, you know, did you know? Am I looking at you know getting with money at Barnes and Nobles and saying, "Oh no, it's not for me"? Why? Why? If right. all the other aspects in it are something like this aligns with what I want to learn, is it because there's a black face on the cover? It's okay to acknowledge that and say, "I'm going to try something different." So those are some of like yeah. the the clear cut ways that um that um non black and brown people can do to create safe spaces for everyone to thrive. I love it. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? Anything I should have asked but didn't? Um, no, I just would say that like I love connecting with folks. I'm the budget needs on all the social platforms. Well, not TikTok. Honestly, I've been I was gonna give it to you in a second. You beat me. Too. <laughs> Go ahead. Go, girl. <laughs> no, I'm like shameless plug. Let's do yes, it. Yes, I'm not on TikTok. Well, I am on TikTok, but my 14-year-old stepdaughter refuses to teach me. And I'm just like, I don't know, with all I have going on. I'm like I could teach you if you wanted, but it's it's I mean I know. I said that I was like, is that something like, that's what I said? But do I want to take that on? I haven't I don't think so. I'm like, you know, Tori, you're killing it's it. It's a huge commitment. Yes. You are smashing it on TikTok. So I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to do all that. (laughs) So, but yes, I am the Budgetista on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on on YouTube. So certainly find me there and thebudgetista.com. Please, 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 it's already out. Get good with money. 10 simple steps to becoming financially whole. This is the prerequisite to the rest of your financial life. It will help you to build the strongest financial foundation possible so you can build whatever financial house that you want. It is available wherever books are sold, but certainly you can go to getgoodwithmoney.com because we highlight Black-owned businesses and small bookstores that you can purchase from so we can support them. So yeah, getgoodwithmoney.com. But thank you, Tori. Honestly, this has been awesome. Thank you. Y'all, what a great conversation. 
You can connect with Tiffany at The Budgetista and please buy her book, Get Good With Money, preferably from a non-Amazon bookstore. It is so worth a read, team. And if you want information about what we discussed in this episode, more information about Tiffany or myself or this show, please check out our detailed show notes at financialfeministpodcast.com. Can't wait to see you back here next week, Financial Feminists. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist. Financial Feminist is produced and hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, theme song and audio production by Jonah Cohen Sound, administration and marketing by Olivia Kokana, Sophia Cohen, and Kristen Fields, research by Ariel Johnson, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, and photography by Sarah Wolf. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and our sponsors, go to financialfeministpodcast.com.